0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. We have just a few weeks before the summer. In the summer, we're going to study an Old Testament book called Ecclesiastes. We study a lot of the poetry books in the summer. Ecclesiastes falls in that category. Between now and then, I thought <clears throat> excuse me, that it would be an opportune time to study what's called the attributes of God, that is, the, the qualities of God, the kind of temperaments, personalities, uh, well, characteristics of God. And we're going we're gonna to look at that for about four weeks, and maybe we'll pick it up at the end of the summer as well. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, what do you think about God? This is a great quote from Tozer. This, this is at least efficient. Look what it says on the board. It says, when it, um, when it comes, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Your view of God is absolutely... You cannot, you cannot go above your view of God. Your emotions, your, your uh, um, like joy, your experience of joy in the, in, in the contrast to the circumstances you might live in cannot exceed the theology or the belief in God that you might have. And that we're going to spend just a few weeks on that. We're going to look at you know, quality upon quality and characteristic upon characteristic... And, and we're going we're to try to figure out if, if, if the God that we have in our mind is the God we want instead of the God who is, or the God that ha- is packageable or manageable as opposed to the God who is. We're going to look at the God who, how he has defined himself in the weeks to come, okay? And this week we're going to look at his faithfulness or his trustworthiness. I felt like that would be an appropriate uh, topic to start on, a characteristic or attribute, because... Well, what we talked about on Resurrection Sunday, about the resurrection being proof that your debt was paid for, we'll look more into that, and so, that so that we can be certain about that. Can we trust God that that truth is, he's going to follow up on that truth that Jesus Christ's death and, and his resurrection were adequate payment for your sins and you are, in, you are adopted into his family because of that? It's a great place to start because a lot of the verses or attributes we'll be looking at from now on will be based on can we trust him? Now this will be a simple outline today because it's a topical uh, subject. So it's going to be what is what does it mean that God's trustworthy? We'll spend some time with that, and then we're going to look at um, what uh, what does it look like? How does God express His trustworthiness? Hopefully in a way that you and I can comprehend it. You know, in in a manner that you know mammals that people could grasp this profound truth that God is trustworthy. And then finally, what what you know what does it look like in our everyday life uh, to live? with the fact that God is trustworthy. Now, I don't mean to oversell this, but I want you to know that that this lesson today is kind of a summary of a three-week topic that we studied when I was in graduate school, and I walked out of the class, and it changed my entire life. It has that potential. I'm not suggesting it happens for everyone. Maybe it's just where I was in life, but from that point on, I felt like now I get it and I was steadfast and firm from that point on. I didn't have doubts. I wasn't wondering like I used to. I was focused on this attribute of God, his trustworthiness, and the way he descri- demonstrates it to our hero in this story, and, and I've been taking people to this passage ever since. Okay, so, so there. I mean, this is a good thing today, at least it is for me, so uh, <laughs> ride along, will you? Let's look at the first thing, shall we? What does it mean that God is trustworthy? It means that when he makes a promise that he'll keep his promise, and we need to find out what some of the promises are, but it means that what, what he says he'll do, he will do. And now, and, and then in the various degrees of trustworthiness, whatever the issue is, whether it's God or someone else, we, we have various levels of trust. We can only trust someone to the degree that they're trustworthy. We all need some kind of rock To cling to in a storm. We need something to balance our emotion in right in the very variables that we experience in life. Where many of us are living in some context of vertigo, circumstantially or relationally, and we need something to hold on to while the world around us spins. And I would propose this: that is the promises of God as they're displayed and fulfilled that should be that rock. The trustworthiness of God is the thing that should stabilize us like nothing else. It's, it, it's in a whole different category by itself. Now, if you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 6, I'll show these verses on the screen, but this, these, these are an important couple paragraphs, and since they are kind of lengthy, I'd like to let you know about what to look for while we read this, what to listen for. It's about promises, so we're going to be looking for words like promise and swear and sworn by, So we'll and words like oath, because that's the topic. Okay, I want you to also be looking for um, the appeal to an authority. Whenever you make a promise somewhere, whether it's in a courtroom or somewhere else, you're going to make an appeal to somebody that could hold you accountable to that truth. So look what God is going to swear by. And then finally, and, th- and this is, I, I, this is uh, kind of a holistic expression of what we're studying today, look at the emotion right, or the psychology of what happens to us if we believe in the trustworthiness or the truthfulness of God, okay? So those are the key words and phrases to look for, and now we're going to look at uh, chapter 6 of, of Hebrews. That's a New Testament book, verse 12. He says, uh, we don't want you to become lazy. What he's talking about, about uh, don't, don't become lazy in your obedience, okay? Don't get sloppy about obeying God, and here's why. Uh, but rather, you're supposed to imitate those Who through faith and patience inherited the promise that they received. Now, when God made a promise to Abraham, there's the promise again, that when God made a promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater than him to swear by, he swore by himself. God said, I swear to me, saying, I will surely bless you and give you your many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently and not getting lazy, Abraham received what was promised. Now, look. Men swear by someone that's greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what has been said, and it puts all arguments to an end. But God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the of, of that was promised, and he confirmed it with an oath. We have a promise, and now we have an oath. So that, verse 18, God did this so that by two unchangeable things, a promise and an oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie. We have fled to take hold to the hope that is offered to us, and we are greatly encouraged. <laughs> we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went there before us, okay, as he entered on our behalf, he has become the high priest Forever. Wow. <laughs> okay, that's classic book of Hebrews. So dense. So much to it. Let's talk first of all. Here's here's the theme here is that God's trustworthiness is supposed to be the anchor for our soul. Okay, we're talking about his metaphor here, the, the word picture he used was anchor, and he wants his God's trustworthiness to be the anchor for our soul so we can have hope and be firm and secure. You want firmness and security in life? Yes, you do. Okay, your soul needs an anchor; it has to have an anchor. And so, this writer is saying, you know what, your anchor ought to be the trustworthiness of God, as seen in His promises and oath. Now, let's just let's go to anchor fundamentals. Okay, you'll need this for later. Um, An anchor needs to be attached to two places: one, the boat. It needs to be secured to the boat, and you're not going to tie it to some little dinghy or some little uh, wispy thing. You're going to tie it to something that's at least as strong as the hull because it's really important to hold on to, right? So it's attached to one end there, and then it's attached to the other thing. It's tied down on the other end to this anchor, and the the anchor has to go to a place that we cannot go. Right? It's not the water. We don't throw the, we're not really throwing an anchor into water. We can get it in the water. And the water is actually the problem, isn't it? I mean, we're anchoring this boat because of tide or because of torrential waves. And so we're throwing an anchor in, not to the water, but all the way down to the bottom to grab something that we can't grab to make this boat secure. And it's supposed to, and you can, you know, most anchors are built like some kind of a claw. And so it drags until it hooks onto something that's immobile, immutable, unchangeable, that's going to be there all the time. And and this anchoring system has to be bigger and stronger and more stable than the boat plus wind and waves, anchor fundamentals, anchor fundamentals. So metaphorically, a boat needs an anchor, that's literal. Metaphorically, your soul needs an anchor. It needs something to cling to, something to hold on to, again, in in the changings of life. I don't think anyone said it better, and it's been quoted ever since. Heraclitus, uh, one of the Greek philosophers, said that everything's in a constant state of change. He's the one who wrote the sentence, you never step into the same river twice. I think he could embellish on that and say, you never go home to the same family twice. You never go to the same place of work twice. Everything is always changing. Everything is approaching entropy or death or chaos. Every tree has a fate of compost. It's disintegrating, right? Every mountain is becoming flatland gravel. Every planet will become frozen. Every star or supernova Everything is dying, and we know this. We know there's nothing safe, and, and we need something to grab onto. We need an anchor. And this writer is saying, well, it ought to be the trustworthiness of God. But we choose other things. We know that we need something more. And so sometimes we just we pull up our bootstraps and say, I will be the anchor. It will be me. For one reason or another, we think that we can do this. I'm, I'm the captain of my own ship. Right? And that's fine. It, it causes you usually to become bitter and isolated. And then, and then there's that one day. You're always one long shower away from realizing that the captain is crazy and we need a mutiny. Because, <laughs> Skipper, you are lost at sea, friend. And, I mean, sometimes we can stay busy enough or we can be so arrogant that we can ride this I uh, value that we're, we're our own captains for quite some distance. But uh, we are just a mild stroke away from not... Not really being all that intelligent, if some of us don't need a stroke. Some people choose other people. They say they turn towards a mentor, a father figure, a mother figure. That's, that would seem appropriate to have someone maybe a little bit further along than you, and that is appropriate for good wisdom and advice, but an anchor, it's not designed for that, because they're a human being, and they're just as volatile. You never meet the same mentor twice. And they're on the same roller coaster. they're just two cars up, right? <laughs> They're going over, too. It is most common for people to choose their mate to be an anchor for their life. And that makes sense, but it doesn't. Again, it's, it's, it's the test line on this anchor that is uh, problematic, right? I mean, we have a three-ton boat, and, and we're running a cable called marriage with a thousand-pound test line on it, and it's, it's going to break. It wasn't designed for that. It was... It was it It doesn't work. And and when people make their mate into an anchor, right, the stability of their life, there's two things that happen. One one is really bad. And one, when a person, a husband or a wife, realizes, I've become too much to this person and they can't leave me. And then a darkness overcomes them and they start becoming a bully of some kind. They start pushing them around. They'll say sometimes out loud, where are you going to go? I don't know if there's a pit that goes that deep, but let's just pretend. I mean, I know that happens, (laughs) but let's just pretend you're not that person, and you're you look at your mate, and you've made them your anchor, and it's a good relationship. It still can't hold. It won't work. I I honestly, I felt like I experienced this in the last two years uh, as I was pursuing my love for Melinda, and um, it was I just you know kind of went in. You know, all all in, and it and it and I started thinking about um, it's. This is morbid and, and really narcissistic, but it was. Uh, I just kept thinking. I, I've gotten to a place now where it's not safe because if she were to leave, if she were to die before me, I imagined not being able to live seven days. I just couldn't, and I thought through this very deeply for extended periods of time, and I just thought, oh, I could not live. I just would not go on. And that's not a good place to be. And so I thought, well, I got, I've gone too far. I should withdraw, but there's, that's not the point of marriage. See, the m- point of marriage is to recklessly love and completely sacrifice yourself for another human being. And so I couldn't turn back, but I felt like I was going. I was too far forward already. And that's when it, that's when I was. You know, it was, it was a long drive, and I, re- I realized I've made her into more than she was. Her place was to be. An anchor. And I, I changed my focus and thought, you know, the trustworthiness of God needs to be my anchor. That is my foundation. That's that's what's dragging and catching something that will not change and will not alter. And if and if I if I do have to live a day, a week, a month, years without my wife, it's because that is keeping me in this storm. You see? And so so I, I came to realize, bad, you don't want to be married to a person that realizes they're your anchor. Good, you still can't endure that. It's not, it's not, it's not there for you. So you, you need to choose God to do that because you need to have something that's everlasting and eternal, that's non-changing, that's predictable, that is certain. Those are all attributes of God. But we are all on our road we have all chosen. What have you chosen? Have you chosen that you would be this thing? That you're the you're the bearing. You're you're the anchor, or or is it someone else? And have you come to realize that that is a, a easy place to find uh, despair or you know dis- distrust? Or have you chosen for God to be that? And is God the God in your head? Is he big enough to endure it? There are three roads. What road are you want? It's the trustworthiness of God that should be the anchor for your soul. The trustworthiness of God. And here's, here's why. Because an anchor is tied to two things. It is tied to you, and it's tied to something that doesn't change. Something that's bigger than anything created. And Jesus is that. He is the son of man. He is us. He is the second Adam. He can relate to us in every way but sin. He is he is, he, is, he, he is tied to us, and his, his, other div, his other nature is divine. He is the Son of God. He, is, he and the Father are one. He is the great I Am. He has, it says in Hebrews, gone behind the veil to the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant. He has chained us to that. He is that anchor. He's the only one that could be that anchor. And so that's why this writer of Hebrews is saying, if you want to stand firm and strong, right, and firm and secure, then you're, the, the anchor of your, of, of your heart needs to be the trustworthiness of God. How does he illustrate that? What, is, you know, what, is, what does that look like? What does it look like? Well, he says it in Hebrews, and we're going to show what it looks like, what he's actually alluding to, and that is there's a promise with an oath. I mean, a promise is pretty good, but this is a promise with an oath. And, and he's referring to Abraham as the hero of this story, so I'll just tell you that story. In Genesis, yes, Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abraham. He's 75 years old, and he said, I promise you, there's multiple promises involved, but he says, I promise I will give you an heir. I will give you multiple heirs, descendants, and one of them will be a blessing to all the world. Okay, So that's what happens in twelve. Chapter 15 is 10 years later. He's 85 years old, and he has another very intimate encounter with God indoors, and he says, I am having my doubts about the promise, your trustworthiness, because I'm getting along in years, my way past the age of birth, and God says this in chapter 5 of verse 15. It's at night. He says, we should go outside. What do you think? Just look. Just gaze. It's me, the great I am. This is what I do in playtime. And you can't have a baby? So, he repeats the promise that you'll have heirs, and you'll have more heirs than you can count. Count the stars, Abraham? No? Keep counting. If you <laughs> I'll bring you to the beach, I'll make you count the grains of sand, you'll have more heirs than the stars I put up in the sky. And it says in verse six, critical verse, it changed the world. It changed your world, whether you know the verse or not. And it said, "And Abraham believed, and it was accredited to him as righteousness. It was that belief, when he stared into those stars, and, and then God so there's a huge promise. The trustworthiness of God is at stake here. And then he looks at this Milky Way and says, yeah, I, I believe we could probably have a child. Yep. <laughs> and at that moment, in his soul, an accounting transfer took place, and righteousness was added to his account, and that's when he became a child of God. And that's how it is in your life. That's verse 6, chapter 15 of the book of Genesis. Verse 8, Abraham says, uh, could you help my unbelief? I love that. Right after chapter, uh, verse 6, he says, I, I still I don't know if I can believe. And God said, well, I'm going to do something for you so that you understand the trustworthiness of God. I have made a promise to you, and now I'm going to make an oath. I know you have some doubts. I bet you have some doubts about the promises of God. And so God does for him, and he does it for us too. This is the chapter I bring people to when they have doubts. He says, I want to cut a covenant with you. God says this to Abraham. He says, I want to cut an oath. We have a promise, and now he's going to add an oath on top of it. And and what that means is, what's tender about it is, this is a vocabulary and kind of a, a business Etiquette that Abraham was quite well aware of. In the ancient Near East, people did this on a regular basis whenever they made primarily real estate deals or king servant deals. okay? And what they would do is they'd get a single animal mostly and they would cut the animal in half between, and they would lay a half over here by my podium and another half by the music stand. And then if we were peers, we would lock arms and we would walk through the blood of this animal. There'd be a little trench there, and we'd walk through the blood and we'd say, Whatever happened to this animal will help happen to me if I don't fulfill the promises. Of his contract, See? and then sometimes we'd switch shoes, and you'd have my bloody shoe, and you'd have I'd have yours. And if there's ever a contract problem, so that there, all the argument would end, it said in Hebrews, put an end to all arguments. We would just say, "Hey, remember this cut contract? Remember this covenant we cut? That's why it's cut." So God says, "Listen, Abraham, I know you like real estate deals, and I know you know about kings making." Uh, uh, you know, contracts or oaths with their peasants, by the way, when the kings do it, they don't walk through the blood. They'll sit up in a chair and watch. All right, that's the deal. He, goes, he says to Abraham, I need, or you're going to need to get some animals, many animals, five animals. You'll need to get a heifer, a goat, a ram, a pigeon, and a dove because I'm an extravagant God. There'll be a lot of blood on this. I hope you remember this oath. And so he does. So Abraham gets this heifer, splits it. He gets a goat, splits it. These are three years old in the prime of their life. He gets a, I do goat or, or ram? They gets the ram and splits it, dove and pigeon. They split those two, or they just put one on each side. And then Abraham waits. It's like, okay, let's let's do. Let's do this. And then he waits some more. And the sun's going down. He's waiting. I hate when the lawyers show up late. And so, in verse 12 of 15, it says this. And as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. God did this to him. And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Verse 17. And when the sun had finally set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with blazing torches appeared. This is just like the one, this is God showing up, like in Moses, right? And passed between the two pieces. And on that day... The Lord made a covenant with Abraham. An oath. On top of a promise. And when and when Abraham came to and woke up, he he remembered the dream of what happened, the this fire pot, this, this pillar of fire. And he remembered God walking through this blood canal. And he was marveled at two things. One, that the king of the universe is going to do the walking. Indeed, that he would humble himself to that point, and he would do the walking, and he swears by his own name. I swear to me, Jehovah Almighty, God Almighty, Adonai Elohim, I swear by my name that Abraham will have an heir, and those heirs will multiply bigger than the stars in the sky, the sands of the beach, and one of them will be a blessing to all of mankind. I swear to me. He was marveled that God made those promises, and two. He couldn't believe he slept through it. He missed the signing. Now all the lawyers were late. Now they're gone. He didn't promise anything. This is a one way contract where God does all the promising and Abraham does all the sleeping. This is the oath of salvation. And this is why the trustworthiness of God should be the anchor for our soul because our soul brings nothing but sin. It brings promises broken. This is where you bring your doubt. Because what do you doubt about the promises of God, really? Some of you doubt the, the integrity of God. No, uh, yes, I can understand that. You, know, you need to get to know him better. But most of us come in here on Sunday because, they don't, we don't, because we don't doubt God's integrity. We doubt whether he would give us another day. We wonder about our volatility in this contractual relationship. We come in here and we go, Had, was it this last week? Was last week the week that I went too far? Is that the time where he says, you're off the team, you're out of the family, we're done now? And this passage says, you weren't even there. You were napping. You didn't participate. God did the promising. Trust in his trustworthiness. That's the anchor for your soul. Only God walks through, and that's why the writer of Hebrews says in 16 or 18, God did this so that two unchangeable things, a promise and an oath, which was in, made it impossible for God to even lie, you know, right? We have this hope, which is an anchor to the soul. It is firm and secure, in it enter, and it enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. It is, why? Why are we so secure and firm? Because we don't do anything. We bring nothing to this. It's the trustworthiness of God. You choose today. You've been on a road. Let's just evaluate the road. What is the anchor? In light of what we just heard about with the promise of God and the oath of God. You, others, or the integrity of God. Go take a look at the stars. Where are you going to go, Abraham? Where are you going to go? Look what I do. You guys, where are you going to go? You have to have something that's eternal, something that's on the other side of that veil that protects us from the very face of God. You have to have have something from there. And Jesus is the only one that did it. Did God fulfill his promises to Abraham? Abraham. Abraham had a son. His name was Isaac. Isaac had a son. His name was Israel. You've heard of Israel. You know how many Israelis have been born since that promise? Anybody want to count? I'll bet there's more of them, and there are stars in the sky, you know, grains of sand in the beach. And then one of the parts of the promises was this that, that, that all the world, by one of those descendants, one of them, not by the nation, but by an individual, that the whole world would be blessed by that one person. And so for 2,000 years, the, the people of Israel bring inconsistency, rebellion. You know, it's like they, could, they never failed to fail, as they say, it was the easiest thing to do. That's all they brought was betrayal and distrust and ambiguity. And after 2,000 years, God says, I made a promise. I've been fulfilling most of that promise up to this point, but on this day, in the midst of your rebellion and your captivity and your time out and all the things that you have not done, I still made a promise, and I'll give you this child as a babe in a cave. And if you bow your knees, you can see his face and, and smell his breath. But if you're too proud, you'll walk right by. God is trustworthy. It's the trustworthiness of God that is supposed to be the anchor to our souls because it was was in that boy that became a man. He fulfilled the promise of broken promises. The Son of God and the Son of Man served that position as an anchor as they tore him to pieces, as everyone walked through his blood to validate a covenant, a contract, an oath that was signed 2,003 years earlier. They had the bloodish sandals to prove it, that God is trustworthy, and that should be the anchors to our souls. God said, I can take the immortal and make it mortal. I can take the glory of the Son and make him common. I can dress this anchor up to fulfill the parts of his existence, to tie him to you and to tie him to me. And that is how you are to trust me. So how is one to live? I mean, right, we know what it means, and we know what it looks like. How do we live we, 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 we live with, with, with no other context of what is certain in our lives. What rattles around in your head? What are the voices that you listen to that tell you otherwise? Why do you listen to them? In other words, are you spending time thinking about the things other than this anchoring, the trustworthiness of God, His promise, His oath? Or are you listening to your I don't know, mother, coach, father, mentor, sister, brother, mate? Because they're there or loud or more consistent? What you do is you find, you find out this. Here, it, it, this is why this, this passage, this story changed my life. Because when I walked out of class 30 years ago in this class on theology, and I realized that there are types of covenants in the Bible, and this was a one-way, unconditional covenant I I went, now I know what salvation means. There are different types of covenant. This covenant is called a, wait for it, a grace covenant. That's why this church is named Grace Covenant Church. So that every time you looked at a bulletin or a business card or whatever it might be, you'd be reminded that you slept in. And Jesus made a promise, and he made an oath, and he sealed it with blood. What do you do? Here's what people do when they understand that God is trustworthy, and it's the trustworthiness of God that's the anchor of the soul. They'll buy books. There are books written that are called the promises of God. You know why? Because when you find out this is one promise, we're using one promise today, there are more. You should say, I want to know what those promises are. Are they to me or are they to Israel? What are those promises? I want that. And I'm going to meditate on those promises. I'm going to memorize those promises. I'm going to think more about those promises than all the other stuff that's rattling around. No more tapes from other people. Only tapes that are promises from God. Can I give you a couple promises? This, these are the, these are two, these are, this is the second set of verses I ever memorized in my life. And here's why it's important today. Look what it says. One of the last books of the Bible, by the way, says this. This is so basic in math, okay? This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and the life is in the Son, okay? He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. Get it? Good, okay? Verse 13, I write these things in order that you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you might know that you have eternal life. Here's another promise. This is... Is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us? Do you know you have eternal life? Do you doubt you have eternal life? You know why you doubt you have eternal life? Because you thought you signed something. You weren't there, you were sleeping. He says, look, this is how it works. I'm writing this so that you know that you have eternal life. Eternal life is in the Son. If you have the Son, you have the life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the life. Do you have the Son? Then you have the life. I've written these things so that you might know you have eternal life. What kind of God lets you wonder about that? A loving God would never allow it. He would never let you wonder about your fate and he would never put your eternal destiny in your hands. You're a bad captain. You're not a good skipper. And so he takes care of everything and he says this, if you have the son you have a life. I want you, I write this so that you might know that you have eternal life. I have another promise it says, if you talk to him anything you say according to his will. Oh, he's hearing that. He is listening. So talk. There's other promises. Find the promises. Meditate on the promises. Enjoy the promises. Let the promises, the trustworthiness of God, be the rock, the anchor, the stability of your life. And don't settle for anything less. God is trustworthy. Let me read. Why don't you close your eyes? Let me just read this passage again. It's so deep and full of meaning. This is that Hebrews... Chapter 6, we don't want you to become lazy about obeying God. Enjoy it. But we want you to imitate those that through faith and patience inherited what they were promised. When God made his promise to Abraham, for example, since there was no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. I swear to me. He said, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And I did. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Now, see, men swear by someone greater than themselves, and an oath confirms what has been said, and so it puts in rest to all the arguments. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose so very clear to all of his heirs that's you and me of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath, a blood covenant. He did this so that by these two unchangeable things, a promise and an oath, it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled the world and are holding on to the eternal hope, it is offered to us for great encouragement. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. We are firm and we are secure. This promised one, he enters the sanctuary behind the curtain, Jesus He went there before us. He entered on our behalf. He has become our high priest forever. Lord Jesus, let these words be made true in our souls that we might stand firm and secure on your integrity, on your trustworthiness, in your attributes, in your character. We pray this so that we might be free, free to enjoy you and sing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.